Well, I've had a good time this summer preaching some reruns, messages that we've taught in the last, well, actually, I'm going back as far as maybe a year and a half in some of these that, I, that I'm bringing, and, and uh, I, I've just been enjoying it. And, it. and it reminds me constantly of how important it is to be stirred up in remembrance of the things that we think we know. There, there are a lot of things that we think that we know that we really don't know. And every time you hear the word preached and it's brought forward, it's going to challenge you in something else. Because, because the word, I mean, I could stand up here and tell you a bunch of stories about things, but that's not going to challenge you. I mean, you, you might relate to some of the stories and laugh at some of the stories or whatever, but, but, the, but the, the stories won't challenge you for change. You know, that you, you might like it, you, you might relate to the stories, maybe a story will help you. Stories are good, but stories need to be, the, uh, you know, need to be what's added to the Word being preached because the Word is what challenges us, and it's the Word that changes us. Amen? Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will never, ever, ever pass away. So, um, last year, I did a series for actually more than a month. I think it was six messages. <clears throat> and again, um, actually my title today will be the same as last year. You can always go back and listen to all those messages in their entirety. But um, the title of, of the series was Faith for Others. And um, actually... To me, one of the most challenging series and messages I've ever brought because of certain things that God showed me, you know, through the years and then leading up to that series about having faith and having a faith level for the good of other people. And the reason in every situation that we have account of in the Bible, which is not probably even an eighth of the miracles and manifestations of things that happened in Jesus' ministry. The reason things happened, there, there had not been a miracle manifested on planet earth that we have any record of leading up to about, say, 400 years before Jesus came to the earth. And now, I've, I've heard, I mean, some people say that's not true, but I've heard I've got accounts of about three or four uh, theologians and people in, that have studied church history that up to about 400 years before Jesus came to the earth, there were no miracles. Nothing. Nothing had happened. Children of Israel had been literally in bondage and, and, and just shut out to the miracles of God. And the difference when Jesus came, you can say, well, he was the Son of God. Yeah. He was the Son of God, but He came in man-like form so that He could be the perfect sacrifice and substitution for you and I so that we could be reconnected spiritually to God, right? And the thing about Jesus was that everywhere He went, His faith level was here. And that's what made the difference in the people. 
How many times do we read in scriptures that he wasn't like one of the Pharisees who was dead and what he said didn't really mean anything? He was, he was a man, we see in the scriptures where people made these comments that he was a man of authority. In other words, he believed in what he was saying was going to happen. So what Jesus had was he had a faith level that was built up and strong for the good of other people. And Jesus created you and I to have faith for others. Not just having faith and trying to work up faith for ourselves to believe God for finances or health and healing or good things to happen or great success in our life and all these things. God truly created you and I to be a blessing to others. He created us to be blessed, like we talked about here, the blessing of Abraham on our life, the empowerment. The word blessing means to be empowered to advance, to prosper. And God has called you and I to be blessed to be a blessing. Not to be blessed to hoard things and just turn inward and be about ourselves, but to be a blessing for others. To have a faith level that other people, when they come into our presence, really believe we believe that, and then things come to pass. If you were here Wednesday night and I laid hands on you regarding fear, I'm telling you, ever since that night and every day since then, however many days that's been since Wednesday, four days, my faith level has remained strong for you. And I believe that what was prayed is manifesting and coming to pass. Fear no longer has dominion over your life. In the name of Jesus. I believe that. And, and, and one of the things that God's showing me about being there for other people is that it's not just, you know, okay, you have a need and we pray and then we pray and then it's out of sight, out of mind. No, no, it's not out of sight, out of mind. We've got to stay connected with people in believing for them to make it through the situations that, that they're battling. And, I, and I'm telling you, it's not always just about being there and talking to people and giving them a phone call. I mean, do that if God leads. But it's about staying in faith spiritually for the victory that they have to overcome the temptations to go back to where they were. Everybody I laid hands on regarding fear on, on, on Wednesday night. The, you stood up here, the line of people that stood up here had real issues where fear is concerned. Amen? And, and what I prayed and many that I prophesied over, those prophetic words, the Bible says we use words and things that are preached because when the word is being preached today, it's in the form of prophecy. It's as God is saying it, in other words. Because, because this is His word, I'm preaching it. When I preach it to you, it'll say something different to everybody in here, and the Holy Spirit will reveal the real truth that you need individually. That's where it becomes prophetic. And 1 Thessalonians 1, I think it is, in verse 18, says that the prophetic words that come to us, we use to fight with. We allow the prophetic words to, to be weapons that we fight with in believing God and accomplishing the goals in our lives. And, and God wants you to believe that and to believe in it. And so today, as we're bringing the Word, and I'm going to read to you a bunch of Scripture and, and a number of different stories from the Bible, they're to challenge you to have faith in your life that is developed and working 
for the good of others. Can you say amen? So we're going to start with uh, James chapter 3. James 3. And verse 2. It says, For we all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in a horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Also look at the ships, though they are large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a small member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. So we got a big horse with a little bit. we got a big ship with a little rudder. And we got a big guy with a little tongue. Right? And all of those are examples of what it takes to control a specific thing. It takes that small bit in a horse's mouth, the way it lays on his tongue to control him. It takes somebody at the wheel of a ship turning a rudder that's very small in comparison to the size of the ship. And it takes an individual person able to control what he says out of his mouth to control and bridle and be in charge of his whole makeup, everything that he is. These are the examples of what it takes, and and you'll see this in the scriptures that we read, these are the examples of what it takes to live a life where you have faith for others. Amen? Amen. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit of it. Death and life. Destruction and life are in the power of what we say for who? Number one, for me. My life is controlled by what I say. And if I don't learn to say the right things, and I don't learn to control what I say, then the rest of me will be out of control. But if I control what I say, I'll bridle my whole body and be in control of everything I do and say. I don't know about you, but that sounds like victory. Amen? Mark chapter 11, and starting with verse 23, verse 23 and 4 in Mark 11. It says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, What things soever you ask when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. So in other words, in life, whatever I say is so for me. Whatever I say is so. So the thing that you and I have to realize is that what we need to be saying is what God says is so. I need to be involved in my life in declaring what God says is so, 
so that what I have is what I say is so. That's the part of this life that you and I live in where we play a part and God plays a part. He said we're joint heirs with Him, with the anointing, with Jesus, the anointed one. We're joint heirs. He made us joint heirs. In other words, God is saying, I need your part in the earth. I need you to do your part. I need you to receive from me the things that, that, that I have done for you. You need to understand them, but then you need to do your part. And we see in Scripture, as we're going to continue to read different verses, how vital it is that my life, first and foremost, line up with what I say. Now, <coughs> um, <clears throat> everybody sitting here today, everybody on planet Earth faces problems. Everybody faces problems. And you have to be able, you have to be able to talk about problems without talking the problem. You have to be able to discuss and talk with the right people in the right way about problems without talking the problem. So, <clears throat> let's just say that something that you say out of your mouth a lot is something like, you know what, life is just really hard. Well, there, there's some real totality in that. There's some real, I mean, it's like every inch of life is covered as being hard. Well, we, we have some hard times. Everybody sitting in here has had hard times. <clears throat> and we've got to be able to, within our own soul, in our life, be able to process and work through the difficulties without talking about how hard everything is. Right. We've got to be able to discuss, and you have to work that out. I may come to my wife and say something like, you know, man, this situation happened the other day, and I'm telling you, it just tried to get the best of me emotionally. But I know what the Word says. I know that the Word says that greater is He that's in me, or whatever it is that God shows me right there, that's what's got to be coming out of my mouth. In my discussion of the issues or the problems, there's got to be the answer. Because if the answer from God's Word that says this is the way God created it to be no matter what it looks like, for that to be manifested, it's got to begin to come out of my mouth and it's got to become a way of life to where I speak the truth even in the midst of the problems. <clears throat> How many know that like in the parable that Jesus talked about, about the house that was built on the rock and the house on, built on the sand? You notice that the storms came to both houses, right? The storms came to the house built on the rock, but when the storms came, they didn't overcome, right? But the house that was built on the sand because there was no foundation. There was no revelation of Proverbs 
Death and life are in the power of what we say. I've got to work that out. I've got, I, I, I've got to come to a place where I realize I can't deny what I'm faced with, but I can't talk it all the time. I can't let what I'm faced with become more real than what God says is true. Um, if you're going around all the time, every time you feel something in your physical body, talking about how sick you are, man, I'm just sick all the time. I'm sick here. I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm sick. The Bible says by his stripes you were healed. Does that say you don't have symptoms? No, absolutely not. There's difficulties. Anybody in the last year had symptoms in your physical body? Anybody raise your hand if you had any kind of symptom of anything whatsoever in your physical body. Most of you, everybody here had a headache, had a big toe is hurting, big something, whatever is hurting, right? Something has happened along the way, all right? <clears throat> that doesn't mean that we're sick. That means there's symptoms in our body, and so we have to work out how we look and view at that. See? Because if I talk sickness all the time, then all I'm meditating on is how bad I feel. And after, after a while, that's where your focus is going to be. That's what you're going to talk. And, and remember, you're going to have what you say. See, God can say all kinds of things, but you're going to have in your life what you say. Actually, what you say is so. So, there may be times I don't feel well, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, this thing faced with something or whatever, which everybody deals with. Okay, so there's problems, and, let, and we can talk about limited amount of talk about the problem, but about the issues surrounding the problem, but not talking the problem. Not talking as though the problem cannot be changed. Because I'm telling you, anything that is a certain way that is contrary to the Word of God is subject to change based on what we do with it. Based on what we do with it. <clears throat> you ever felt like that... It seems like there's massive giants in your life that are trying to overtake you and, and situations that crop up at different times. Everybody has. Everybody's had seasons. I can say in my own life that there's been seasons when it seemed like there were giants that were bigger than God. But the only way out of those situations is to allow God to be who He is in the midst of what you face. If you're looking for a life that is free from any opposition, then you might as well just pray that you die. Because there is no such life. Because of the world that we live in, there's opposition. But the opposition doesn't have to overtake us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we can overcome anything and everything that comes against us because he said so. And if I line up with what he says is so, and then I declare that it's so, then I have what I say is so. I just don't want to have what I say is so that's not what he says is so. Amen? So, <clears throat> so uh, one of the stories, there's many, many, and just for the sake of time, let's read one of the stories where Jesus was in faith. Mark chapter 5, and we'll just 
for the sake of time, we'll jump down to verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. What did Jairus have faith in? Somehow, somehow he knew that Jesus was in the healing business. Somehow he knew. He heard it. He saw it. Someone else told him. Now his daughter's at the point of death. There's sickness trying to take her out. And he comes to the man of what? Faith. He comes to the man that his faith level is through the roof because of his confidence in what Father says is so. Jesus said over and over and over again, I did not come to the earth to do my will, but the one who sent me. He said over and over again, I do those things that I hear from my Father and not the good ideas that I have. And in the garden before his crucifixion, Lord, if there be any other way, but not my will, but your will be done. So, Jesus, Jesus mentally and soulishly was giving in to the temptations and was thinking, you know what, I'll bet Daddy will take me out of this. And he didn't voice that. We have no account of the fact that he voiced it, but I'm telling you, he thought it. There are all kinds of things through Jesus' life that he thought that he didn't do because he never sinned. But I'm telling you, the thoughts came to his mind. The thoughts of easy street and doing the easier thing instead of the God thing came to his mind. Or he wouldn't have said what he said in the garden. Lord, if there be any other way, but not my will, but yours be accomplished. And here in this situation, he had faith level through the roof and Jairus saw it. You know, you don't have to tell anybody you're walking by faith. How are things going? Oh man, I'm just living by faith. I'm, I'm on top of the world. I mean, I'm overcoming it. He never said that. They saw it in him. Without him saying a word, they saw it on him. It was on him. He was walking by faith and trust and confidence. And you, you, know, what that, you know what that guy looks like? James 3.2. The guy that listens more than he talks, and he only says the things that he gets from the Father. That's a mature, developed man able to bridle his whole body. And when you see a person like that, you see him, people can see you from, from a, a distance. That, you're, that there's something about your life that's different, and that's what they saw in him. And Jairus says, if you can do this for, for my daughter. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and he thronged. And now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and had suffered many things from physicians And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the the fountain of blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction, and Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? What was her faith in? 
Her faith was in the fact that Jesus could do what she heard he could do. And if he did it for someone else, he can do it for me. How many believe today that Jesus will do it for you? Amen? He's done it for us. He'll do it again and again and again. And that's great that he does something for me. But what's even greater is that I can believe that he'll do it for you. There's many people today that I'm in faith and agreement for for the, for the manifestation and the fulfillment of things that I've agreed with them on. And, I, and my faith level, it, it's vital that my faith level stay high for the good of other people because it did with him. This woman, 12 years, spent everything she had, was healed like that. Then he goes with Jairus. His daughter dies. He raises her from the dead and you know, the rest is history. That manifestation came because of the faith of Jesus. Listen to me. Listen, he said, your faith has made you whole. He told the the woman with the issue of blood, your faith has made you whole. But her faith was in the fact that he had faith. There's something in the earth that is vital that we understand about how important our life is for the good of others. We've got to understand that. And having faith for others is what Jesus puts you here for. Not just to try to grow and be successful and be this and be all these kind of things. Yeah, all that's great, but we've got to be in faith. And we've got to know what that looks like. Can you say amen? 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10. always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, since we have the same spirit of faith. According to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak. What we say is so is based on what we believe. And listen to me, inside of you, if you're born again, you have the same spirit of faith that Jesus had. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that resides on the inside of you. What matters is, what are we doing with it? How is it being developed on a day-to-day basis? If it's being developed in us and through us, then our faith level's high and other people's lives get changed. Ours too, see? But when you're developing faith over things in your own life and your faith level is growing, then you begin to look outside of your life where you see somebody that is developed and more mature is somebody that's more concerned about others than they're concerned about themselves. That, that's just developed faith and developed maturity in life. And the more we develop in our own lives for faith for others, you get so excited about life that you don't think about yourself and, and things that are going on. And many things that were troubled a month ago, they're not a trouble anymore because you've just not been focused on them. It's a win-win. 
Amen? Same spirit that was in Jesus is in you and I. Old Testament, Numbers chapter 20. I told you we're going to read a lot of Scripture today. <clears throat> a lot of Scripture. Because this is, this is six messages condensed into one. <laughs> no, it's not, not that bad. <clears throat> Numbers 20 and verse 1. So, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go backwards here, but there's a point that I really want you to see today in these last, these last passages of Scripture that I'm going to read from. Numbers 20 and verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals, before it was just them, now it's their animals, and that our animals should die here? <clears throat> and why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring to us this evil place. It, it is not a place of grain or figs or vine or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly of the door of the tabernacle meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother, Aaron, gather the congregation together. And what, what did he tell them to do? <clears throat> Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you, you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock, you ungrateful cusses? Verse 11, Moses lifted his hand. What was he supposed to do? Speak. Speak to the rock. Moses lifted his hand and he struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, because you did not believe me to hallow me or, or to consider what I'm saying is holy, the eyes of the children before the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and He was hallowed among them. He was still holy among them, but they contended with Him. So, right here, because of Moses' disobedience, because he disobeyed, Moses and Aaron didn't enter into the promised land. Children of Israel had already been told that they weren't going to enter in, but that right here, Moses and Aaron did not enter in because of their unbelief. Well, I'm telling you today, because of the blood of Jesus, when we miss it and we make mistakes, we can still enter in. Moses and Aaron didn't enter into the promises because of their disobedience. When you and I disobey, why would we want to stay disobedient and not enter in and continue to push the will of God back in our lives, let's become obedient and be recipients. When we repent and we turn from things that we're doing, we have instantly, we have the ability to enter in. 
where Moses and Aaron didn't. Why? Because the blood of Jesus had not been shed. The, the blood of the goats and the bulls and the blood that had been sprinkled over the doorpost, the death angel passed over, <clears throat> but that wasn't the ultimate sacrifice. That was to come years later through the blood of Jesus. And glory to God today, you and I, when we miss it, we can still enter in. Our faith level can still rise. We can still overcome. And He'll even cause your mistakes to prosper. Hallelujah. Wow. Nobody deserves that. But we do through the blood of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Psalm 106 and verse 32. <clears throat> This is about the fact that God was angered with the children of Israel. And, with, and, and it says in verse 32, They angered him also at the waters of strife, or at Meribah, that we just read. So then it went ill with Moses on account of them. Because they rebelled against his spirit, so that he spoke rashly with his lips. When he called them a bunch of rebels, that's not what God told him to call them. Now I promise you God was thinking that. But that's not what Moses didn't have the authority to say, you bunch of rebels. And he spoke rashly with his lips. You know what that's teaching us? What God's plan was, and it says in Psalms, I'm not sure the verse, in chapter and verse, but it says that Moses led them out to lead them in. The will of the Father was Moses to lead him into the promised land. He chose to disobey. And because of his disobedience, and it seemed like, you know, man, God, I mean, Moses didn't even want this job. And then he gets five million Jews complaining all along. And I mean, you know, this seems like a really unfair thing. And now you're not letting him go into the promised land because he missed it one time. Well, he missed it a few times, but you know, <clears throat> in this one situation and you're not letting him in, it seems really unfair. Well, it doesn't matter. That's what God said. What God says is so is so. And we're going to believe that or we're going to not reap the benefits of the blessing being in our lives. Can you say amen? So, Hebrews 3, I'm going to read you three passages of Scripture before I read the ending passage. Three quick passages of Scripture in Hebrews 3. And this is just a command and an encouragement for you to do every day. <clears throat> Hebrews 3.1 Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and who? High priest of our confession, who is who? Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ is the apostle and the high priest. Actually, the word there is profession. And the word profession, to, to, to be aware of your profession, is to be aware that what you say is what he says is so. In other words, to, to consider Jesus and what Jesus says is so in what comes out of our mouth. That's a command right there. And then he says it uh, in a similar way in the fourth chapter, and the 14th verse. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, let's watch everything that comes out of our mouth. In James 3 it says, to say that we love God and then to curse our brothers who are created in the image of God, it can't be that way. 
right? Good water and bitter water can't come out of the same fountain. You're either going to have contaminated waters or you're going to have clean waters. And listen to me. An act of disobedience in our life, even this today, when we disobey and we say things out of our mouth when we know better, those words that we speak about somebody else contaminates everything else in our life. You know why? Because it opens the door to strife and division. Where there's, divi- where there's strife and division, there's confusion and every evil work of the enemy. We've got to shut that door. We've got to give that no place by doing what? Watching what comes out of our mouth. You don't have to say it. You can think it and not say it. Okay, I won't. I'm good for a while. And then after a while, it won't just be, okay, I won't. You're going to get rid of it. Because the more, you, the more you stop saying things that you shouldn't say about people or situations, the easier it gets. And then you begin to see God in the midst of it, and he'll reveal things to you that you were bothered by that you didn't even need to be bothered by. And that way you can forgive people and allow roots of bitterness and unforgiveness and things to be, to be a thing of the past. You'll be delivered and set free of those things. That's, that begins to happen when you watch what you say out of your mouth. And then the other passage, it says pretty much the same thing in Hebrews is in the 10th chapter and the 23rd verse. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised, he's faithful. Most of what we say out of our mouth that is not what he says is so is out of worry and fear. We fear men, we fear situations, we fear failure, fear this, that, and the other. Okay, everybody's feared. Everybody's dealt with fear. You were born into fear. I don't care what kind of household or anything else you were born into, who your parents were, how much they loved God. When you're born into this world, you're born into the system of fear. Because the Bible's real clear that in the system out there, it's ruled by people's emotions. And that is where the devil has a place. He has no power except what humanity gives him through their emotions based on what we say. We identify ourselves based on what we say on a day-to-day basis. Then the enemy knows where you're at. He, he can't read your mind. He's not omnipresent. He has no power. He's defeated at Calvary. He, he has no ability except what we give him out of ignorance by opening our big mouths and saying things we don't need to be saying. I need to be involved in watching my confession and saying what he says is so. And if you do that all the days of your life, it says you'll be able to control everything in your body. Everything. Every thought. Every action. Everything you look at. Everything you want to do that's not right, you'll quit doing it because you're watching what you say. Amen? That's what it says. Okay, so we're going to end with this. Go back to Numbers chapter 13. We read Numbers 20 about Moses talking to that bunch of hillbillies. Rebellious cusses. We're going to back up and just I want to read a few verses of Scripture that kind of build towards what actually happened here and what's not going to happen in your life. I'm saying ahead of time, these things are not going to happen to you. They're not. They're not happening. Here at Gates, they're not happening. We're not people that are speaking out of our mouth things that 
we feel, the way things look or whatever, we're people that are saying what God says is so and our faith level is rising so that we're here for each other. We're here for other people instead of just living our lives about ourselves. Can you say amen? amen? Chapter 13 and verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is after they left Egypt, this is before they're entering into the promised land, and he's going to send these spies out. And verse 2 says, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Does God ever say anything that he doesn't mean? No. He already gave them. He didn't send them to spy out the land for them to decide whether they could take it or not. He didn't send them to spy out the land for them to decide whether they could take it or not. He sent them to spy out the land that he gave them to see how awesome it was. Verse 27. So, they go... They come back, and in verse 27, just for the sake of time, um, they came back and and spoke to the congregation. They told him and said, they're talking to Moses and the congregation, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows, and whoever this representative is here, uh, you'll find out in a minute, based on his words, what he thinks. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They had cut off grapes, and I mean, these were like, I mean, it took six guys to carry this one cluster of grapes. I don't know about you, but I can carry a cluster of grapes and got room in my hand. And it took six guys. (laughs) These are some big old grapes. (laughs) You You can eat a meal on one of those grapes and have leftovers for tomorrow. And this is just the grapes. Like hmm? Yeah. Hmm? A grape like a watermelon. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So they're going on and on and on about how difficult things look. Did we say in this message that there's difficulties in life? There are giants. There are situations. There's stuff, right? But God told them, I want you to go and see the land that I've given you. They're coming back with a report. And and to this point, the report is, it's looking pretty grim. In other words, God... Maybe he gave it to us, but he wasn't thinking about this place because this place is full of a bunch of giants and there's, there's going to be some tough stuff here, right? It's going to be difficult. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once, take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel 
a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants. They didn't see any evidence of that. They saw the potential of that because they were stronger. You know what happens? A lot of times you get in the presence of other people. Well, you know, I can't do that because like that person, they're more educated than me. You know, they're better than me. They, they've done this kind of stuff, and I've never done this before. And, 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 and our minds, what, starts reasoning. What I say that reasoning mind is, it's a whore. Martin Luther, one of his statements were that reasoning mind is a whore. It always goes against the Word of God and talks you out of what is true. And that's what they did. They reasoned in their mind. They're saying things that didn't even happen, but that just had the appearance that they could happen. It's a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Watch this, verse 33. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from, from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Okay, I got that. But so we were in their sight. Reasoning mind. They didn't stop and talk to one of the giants. So uh, do we look like some grasshoppers to you guys? No, they reasoned in their mind. They talked themselves out of it. I'm telling you, they talked themselves out of it. Whatever you say is so, is so. And if you say that the giants that you face are bigger than God, then they are. You say that something that you face on a day-to-day basis looks impossible, then it's impossible because you say. When God's already said, it's different. I've given you the land. I've given you everything that you need. I've met every need. I've healed your bodies. I've done everything through the blood of Jesus. It's all done. Now what do you say? We say so. Come on. We say so. Can you say amen? Amen. 14th chapter, first verse. And all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children, now it's their wives and their children and them and their animals, should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt to bondage? Would it not be better to go back to bondage? And experience all this stuff for 400 plus years. What they had experienced, all the children of Israel, they cried and moaned and groaned. Now they're crying because they've got to raise their level of faith and believe God. Nobody's ever come and said, here, I'm giving this to you. Oh my God, what what, what am I going to do? I mean, I I don't deserve it. I'm this, I'm that. Yeah, okay, we've got to get that thinking out. And, and we got to begin to start saying who God says we are and what we have a right to so we start thinking like God thinks so we start saying what He says is so instead of the way it looks. And that's what they did. And they talked themselves out of it. And all, Verse 10, And all the congregation said to stone Moses and Aaron. And the glory of God appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. And then go to verse 26 and we'll end with this. In the verses that I'm skipping, God got in Moses' face and he said, you know what? These are a bunch of rebels. You know, it was later on when Moses said that, so maybe he got it from God. No. 
He said, they're a bunch of rebels. He said, I just need to annihilate them and wipe them out. And the Bible says that Moses got in God's face based on what God had said. And God wasn't offended. God was excited that somebody rose up and reminded him of his word. You think God did that on purpose? Absolutely. He always, he never does anything by accident. He did that on purpose to see what Moses would do. And in verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard the complaints from the children of Israel make against, that they make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained shall be, sh against me shall fall in the wilderness, and all of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and, and above, in other words, won't go into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua and their kids. Why? Because of their faith. They believed that what God said was so. I'm giving you this land. It's so. And they went, and all they could see through their eyes, my gosh, look what God has given us. It wasn't how big are the devils, how big are the giants. They didn't even see the giants. I think Caleb was shocked at what came out of their mouths because he saw something totally different. And the gates of the city we're going to see things day by day by day totally different than what the world sees so we can be there for the world. Amen? So our faith level can be high with great expectation, be on the receiving end of all that God has for us, and give the devil no place. Can you say amen?